You're listening to The Souvenir Shop, a podcast about random objects from the past. Number five, the crown. A five shilling coin, a crown, commemorating the life of Winston Churchill, sits in a drawer under my desk. It used to have its own transparent hard plastic case, long since lost. Which is a shame, as this also means it's no longer in mint condition. So instead of being worth over £100, it is probably, with inflation, worth less than its original face value. I don't remember much about Churchill when he was alive, mainly because I was only five at the time of his death. Today he is revered as the godhead figure who supplied our lion's roar during World War II. But even though he got a full state funeral on his death, I cannot find much evidence of this reverence during the two decades he lived after VE Day. It is a matter of record that Sir Winston Churchill never won the popular vote in a general election. As is well known, he took over from the car crash of Neville Chamberlain's elite premiership in 1940, and then lost by a landslide in 1945. And even though the Conservatives were re-elected in 1951, after Attlee's government ran out of road, the latter not only got the highest vote nationally, but, up until that point, the largest popular vote ever. I'm sure there's something of great significance to be gleaned from all this, but cannot for the life of me tell what it might be. The 1950s vintage Churchill comes over as a bit of an old duffer, an imperial throwback whose time had passed. It was almost as if there were two Churchills, the legend and the man, living side by side. As the former, he was always treated with the utmost respect and reverence, but when it came to the man, even his own party viewed him as a spent fossil and eventually had to drag him kicking and screaming from number 10 to make way for a young, thrusting, 57-year-old called Anthony Eden. The perceived certainties of World War II set against the moral roller coaster of today have required us to canonise not just Churchill, but a whole generation of mortal human beings to an extent way beyond their appeal in the years when hostilities were still fresh in people's minds. Take Vera Lynn. Since her death in 2020, she is forever locked in our collective psyche as the force's sweetheart, whose lilting ballads kept the nation warm during the long winter of bombings, rationings and telegrams to the next of kin. This doesn't tally with my first knowledge of Vera during the early 70s, when she was simply one of many singers belting out tire yellow ribbon and snowbird on crappy TV variety shows. The first time I ever heard of Churchill was at my primary school. On the morning of the 30th of November, 1964, I sat cross-legged on the floor in the assembly hall of Tyson Mixed Infants in Hackney. By then, I was used to the tradition of our headmistress, Miss Fisher, announcing, after our spirited rendition of When a Knight Won His Spurs, the birthdays. It's Ronnie Zuckerman's birthday today, so what do we all say? Many Abbey day we all replied in a chaotically sing-song manner. And Ronnie is six, so what do we all do? What we did was collectively clap in unison whilst counting to six. Don't knock it. 
every kid in the room enjoyed this way of practising our counting skills. But on this particular November day, Miss Fisher's parish announcements took an unexpected turn. We are celebrating a very special day today. Can any little boy or girl tell me whose it is? There was silence. Come now, it's someone your mummies and daddies might know very well. Anyone? A few hands went up at the back of the hall where the older kids sat. Miss Fisher pointed to one of the hands. You, Rachel. Is it Sir Winston Churchill, miss? Sir Winston was a name new to me. I had never heard of anyone called Sir Winston and was intrigued as to why this was a name and why it was important. Well done. It's a very important birthday because Sir Winston Churchill is 90. So what do we all say? Many happy day. Miss Fisher was not done yet. To wish Sir Winston a proper happy birthday, we will all now give him 90 claps. At the age of five, I was not a maths prodigy. I could definitely count to 10, maybe even 20, but until then had no reason to think of many numbers beyond six, which happened to be the standard price in old pennies of a two-pack Milky Way. But the ordeal began anyway. Wah, do, three, four, five. On it went. Twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. By the time we got to the forties, our delicate, uncalloused hands were feeling the sting from so much clapping. In addition, I doubt whether many of us had ever counted this far. Most of us could see how the logic of this worked, but many, particularly the tiny children towards the front, were by now either miming or burbling incoherently as the numbers crept towards the old man's age, all of us wishing and hoping it would end. It's finished with more of a whimper than a bang. Even the teachers standing by the walls around the hall looked relieved, a few managing to hold on to their rictus grins as they thankfully reached the magic number. The following January, less than three months after Churchill hit 90, he died. On the 30th of January 1965, his state funeral took place, the beginning of the legend succeeding the man. This was the first state funeral for a commoner since that of Lord Carson 30 years earlier. Why Carson, the lawyer responsible for prosecuting Oscar Wilde, received this honour is open to question, but a quick look at non-royals receiving state funerals shows the list to be strangely random. There are admittedly some obvious candidates. Few would question the importance of Isaac Newton, Horatio Nelson, or the Duke of Wellington at the time of their death. Edith Cavill's honour in 1919 was a mawkish but understandable piece of post-war propagandising. But Lord Napier of Magdala? Earl Roberts of Kandahar? Students of the great game may know of them, but I doubt whether many others do. Richard Dimbleby provided a suitably hushed BBC commentary on the day. Such was the importance and gravity of the occasion that all children's television was cancelled. To my dismay, neither Fred Barker nor Ollie Beak were any match for Sir Winston. How inconsiderate of him. 
That was The Crown, written and read by Matthew Diamond. If you enjoyed this story, then don't forget to like and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you next time.